Lord, we ask you to bless this evening, guide and lead us as we look at your word and show us what you would want us to see from, from your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 15. We're hearing God speak to the, to the people through Jeremiah, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said in, unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind would not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. It shall come to pass if they say to me, Where shall we go forth? Then you shall tell them, Thus saith the Lord, Such as are for death to death, such as for the sword to the sword, such as for famine to the famine, such as for captivity to captivity. And I will appoint over them four kinds, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to tear, the fowls of the heaven, and the beast of the earth to devour and destroy. I will cause them to be removed unto all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity on you, O Jerusalem, or who shall bemoan you? Who shall go aside to ask you how you do? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You are gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of repenting, for I will fan them in a, in a fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the seas. I have brought unto upon them against the mother and the young men a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly. The terrors upon the city. She that hath borne seven languishes, she has given up the ghost. Her son is gone down while it is yet day. She hath been ashamed and in confounded, and the resid resid residue of them will I deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. So this is God's message to his people. All right. Uh, and Jeremiah is delivering this message, and he says, God said, though Moses and Samuel stood before me. Now, these are two key people to the Jewish, to the Jewish people. Moses, the lawgiver, the deliverer, and Samuel the great judge of the people. The only one above Samuel would have been for Elijah to have been in this list. And he's telling them, though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, God says, I wouldn't care. That these great leaders stood and asked for my help, I would not, my mind could not be toward this people, cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. This is how evil the people have gotten. And remember that Jeremiah is preaching to the crowd after Josiah has reigned. He's looking at the four last kings of Israel and saying, you're going into captivity for all of your, all of your sin, all of your turning away. And so this is, and it says, it shall come to pass that if they say unto me, where shall we go? Yeah, and this kind of makes me funny. You know, the people aren't following God. And even in our day, people don't follow God. But the very time when bad things happen to them, you know, God, why are you letting this all happen? Uh, what are you going to do about this, God? And he says, if they should ask, where are we to go? You are to say to them, such as for death, death, for the sword, sword, for the famine, famine, and for captivity, captivity. He goes, you're going to go where you're destined to go. All right. He goes, if you were to just plain die, you're going to die. If you're going to starve to death, you're going to starve to death. If you're going to die in battle, you're going to die in battle. And some of you are going to go into captivity. And he doesn't say how many of each are going to do each of these things. But this is what happens when God turns away from a people. It's basically, you're going to all die. And I don't care how you die. Some of you are going to go into captivity. As we get closer and closer to the end days, this is the stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be more and more death and destruction, more and more evil. It's told to us that in the last days, it will, the people will do what's right in their own eyes. It will be like the days of Noah, doing what they call in good, evil, evil, good. 
Now, if you think about this, what does that really mean? If people are truly doing that, they're calling everything good evil. So that means if you help somebody, you're evil. If you're being mean to somebody, you're being good. How long is it going to take for people to start being mean to one another and try to abuse one another? Activities going against people. Uh, we saw during Trump's administration, whenever they didn't like it, they rioted in the cities and tore, tore up the cities. And most of them never went to prison, never got, got arrested, and they celebrated them. Why? Because that is the mentality that's out there. I don't get my way. I'm going to tear everything up. I'm going to kill people. I'm going to steal. And it's good because we're doing it for a good reason. We want, we want justice. We don't want justice when they come to get us, but we want justice. And we're willing to destroy everything to get justice. And this is what's happening. And God says, on this time when you're getting ready to go, some of you are going to die by just death. Some of you are going to starve to death. And this is the thing that we're looking at. And I've said this so many times. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we look back at the scriptures and we look at today, we see him doing just the same things that he has always done. When people turn their backs against him, he lets calamities come. And then he lets more and more calamities come. And what is happening, just as on our day, well, our famines, our droughts, our water problems, our bad storms, they're all, in our case, we call them climate change. Well, I would say it's God putting his hand on us and saying, you are in rebellion to me. What were they saying in, in those days? Everything's good, nothing, you know, we're having a few bad things happen to us, but everything's generally good, the economy's okay, you know, we're, we're doing okay. And then calamity completely falls on them. And that's what's going to happen even in our day. As people are yelling, you know, climate change, it's all those, you know, all these bad people out there making bad decisions and destroying things. And who's the bad people they're pointing to? Those are the Christians and religious people that tell them that what they're doing is wrong. So we're going to see this whole process coming back out even in our day and age. He says, I will appoint over them four kinds or four groups says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to tear, the fowls of heaven and the beast of the earth to devour and destroy, and will cause them to be removed from all kingdoms. So what is he saying? I'm going to send the sword, which is war. I'm going to send the dogs to tear, why animals getting in there, and he's going to send the birds and the beast in there to tear, and he's going to send some of them into captivity. You know, and kind of when I read these things, it's kind of interesting to me. When we look all around us, how many wars are going on all around the world? Right now, we're, we're fixated on uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine. Anywhere in the Middle East, there's wars going on. Africa constantly has wars going on. You know, there's wars everywhere. And I think we're technically in the middle of war in America with what's going on in our country. So we've got wars everywhere. And, and what really gets me is these ideas of animals being, being troublesome for people. And I think it's interesting that if you watch the news, how many times in a week do you hear bears you know, in, the, in Phoenix or, or in Flagstaff and wolves and, and all these animals? And you, you just I glance through the news article sometimes and there's some python going out or in, in Florida, some alligator attacking somebody. And I'm going, God, are you sending animals into the cities just like you have in the past? Just like you told people you would in the past? And I think I'm absolutely correct on that. God is using wild animals in the cities where they don't belong to terrorize people to try to get their attention. And I see it on Phoenix, you know, wildcats, bears, up in the North Country, wildcats, bears, in the, in the towns, in the cities. You haven't heard too many people being attacked yet that I've heard of. But I think it's just around the corner. God is saying, are you going to listen to me? And he does not change his way of doing things from what he's always done. And this is, this is the thing that people have to understand. God has not changed. When we read these Old Testament verses about what he has done to his people, and we start looking and saying, what is he doing in our day? We see him lining up. We see the matching of it, and then that takes us to the fact that God will bring 
some form of captivity into, into place, some kind of cap, capturing of the country. He's done it all through history. America is ripe for conquest because of how lazy the people are in general and how they don't follow God, they don't honor God. It will not surprise me that we go into a war where we are attacked on our own shores. It's not going to surprise me at all because that is the culmination of these area that we're in. And so we are looking at all of this going on and says, verse uh, 4, And I will cause them to be removed to all kingdoms because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah of Judah, for all that he did in Jerusalem. Now remember, we actually just studied Manasseh two weeks ago in our second Chronicle study. What happened to Manasseh? He totally brought idol worship into the, into the nation. God sent him into captivity and he repented. But what was the consequence of that repenting? And God says, okay, I'm going to let you go back because you humbled yourself. But in the generations to follow, this nation will go into captivity. And then his son Ammon took over and he really tried to mess things up. And then Josiah came and Josiah got another reprieve for 50 years. But after Josiah, there is no king that brings a reprieve to the king, kingdom of Judah. They're going to go into captivity. Everything that God said to Manasseh will, will occur. Everything he said to Josiah will occur. And we're looking at all of this. And I, and I know I'm stretching this because it doesn't necessarily say the United States and all this. But God has not changed. When people disobey God, judgment comes. And we can look at any historical period of time where people disobey God's rules and see these judgments come their, come their way. And so we're looking at this, and it says, Who shall have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan you? Who shall go aside and ask you how you do? And this is kind of sad. He's going, there's not going to be a single person who cares. Have you ever been in a place where you're kind of sad and you just want somebody to say, how are you doing, and cry with you? That's human nature. You know, when we're having a hard time, we just want somebody to say, how are you doing? We don't even need them to go beyond that, really, but how are you doing and actually care? And God is telling them, you're not even going to have anybody that cares. You're not going to have anybody who's going to pay, pity you. They're not going to bemoan you, and they're not even going to ask, how are you doing? That's a pretty sad statement. That they are so fallen that nobody even cares. And then God says, you have forsaken me, saith the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of repenting. He's going, you have forsaken me. You've turned away again. Manasseh turned away and repented. Uh, Ammon did not repent. Jo Josiah came pretty good right from the beginning. And then when he heard that he wasn't close to what he thought he was, he repented. But the other kings do not repent. And God says at the end of this, he goes, I am weary. I am tired of you guys repenting and not meaning it. Yeah. And this is something serious because God will forgive us when we come to him with a repentant heart. He will, repent, he will forgive nations that come to him with a repentant heart. But God says, I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of the playing around. Saying I'm repenting, but not repenting. And this is something we as Christians have to be careful of. How many times we tell God, God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then we can turn right around and do whatever it is we told him we're not going to do. And we're all guilty, I know. We've all done it in some area of our life. And luckily for us, our repentance doesn't depend on us. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But God could be end up saying, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching you guys say you're going to do this and not do it. And, but he had done this with Israel for a thousand years. He's been watching them disobey, judgment, repent, only for one king or one judge, and then disobey and, and repent, and then disobey and repent. And each time they repented, it seemed to have lasted shorter and shorter time that they would stay repentant. And this is not a good place for people to be at. To just say, God, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but as I used to tell my kids, are you sorry you got caught or are you actually sorry? Most of the time, they're sorry they got caught. 
God, we're going to turn over a new leaf for at least, for at least three or four hours so until, you, until you're not looking anymore, and then we'll go back to the way we want to do things. Because you caught us, we're sorry. And this is what Israel had done over and over and over again. They'd done it even during Moses' time. You know, they got delivered, they would praise God, and then next day or two they'd be complaining to God again. And then they would be delivered and they'd praise God and be happy for a couple days and then they would complain. And this is the problem even for us sometimes as Christians. We have this attitude of what have you done for me lately instead of being God, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do. God made no promise to do anything for us in this world. He has promised us a home in glory where it'll be perfect and we will be without sin and we'll be righteous. Now, any blessing he gives us to on this earth is just extra. And we should be happy. This is what Paul said. What are these light afflictions that I have gone through compared to the glory to come? We as Christians should be, no matter what's going on in this world, looking to what is coming when we're done laboring. This is what Jesus told them. He goes, when the master and the servant go out and they, they work in the field, they go, when they come home, the, the, ser- the master doesn't tell the servant, well, go and have your dinner and get cleaned up and then come take care of me. He says, no, you take care of me. Then you go get yourself cleaned up and get your dinner. What is he telling us? While we're on this world, earth, we are his servants laboring to accomplish his work. And when he gives us a special time to, to rest or relax, that is just what it is. A special time to rest and relax. It is not the norm. And too many Christians have this idea of, well, life has got to be good or, it's, or God's not blessing me. We need to be very careful. Our blessing comes when we leave this world and enter into our heavenly home. And I'm looking forward to our heavenly home. Now, I've enjoyed this world. I've enjoyed what God has given to me. Not that it's been perfect and great, you know, fully good. He gives me great joy and peace in what I'm doing, even when things are hard. But I am really looking forward to heaven. No pain, no suffering, no trials, no temptations. A perfect environment. I'm looking forward to that, especially the older I get and the more pain I'm in all the time. And I'm not even the oldest one around, you know, and I know that you all must feel lots of pain. But I'm starting to feel pain. I get up in the morning and I'm sore. I go to work and I get more pain. <laughs> you know, and I'm looking forward to going to heaven, no more pain. That and alone would be worth everything. God, I'll take a tent out in the, out in the wilderness area out there. Just give me a sleeping bag out there and I'll be happy as long as I don't have pain. And God is saying, I've got much more out for you in heaven. And this is the good news for us. And God says, I am tired. I am weary of their repenting. And it says, and I will fan them with the fan in the gates of the land. Uh, and this is the idea of winnowing. You know, if you know what winnowing is, they take the, 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 the grain and they throw it up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff out and the seeds were heavier and they would fall. Then they would take a pitchfork of it and throw it back up in the air and let the, let the uh, chaff blow off. And God has said, I am going to winnow them and I will fan them or winnow them in the gates of the land. So he says, I'm just going to keep throwing you up and, and what is righteous and good will stay and what is bad will get blown away. And unfortunately, most of the land was batted, bad, so they were going to be blown away. And this is what he said. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they returned not from their ways. This is strong language. God is saying, the children of Israel are my people, and I am going to be killing off their sons and daughters and their, and their family and leaving them bereaved. And anybody who's lost family know what that's like. And God says, all of your sin has consequences. And this is the whole part about this. Sin always has a consequence. And the problem is that the consequence doesn't always fall on me when I sin. Oftentimes it'll fall on somebody else. And this is what he's telling them. You're going to be bereaved of your children. I will destroy my people. And it says, verse 18, their widows are increased 
to me above the sand of the seas. That's a lot of widows. Right? So he's saying your sons, your, your husbands, your family are going to die to the point of beyond the sands of the sea. That's a lot of death. And he says, um, and I have brought against them the mother of the young men a spoiler or a destroyer at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and the terrors of the city. So he says, I'm sending enemies. I'm sending people to kill. And I think about how much death. You know, I don't watch a lot of news, but it seems like every time I turn on the local news, somebody in Phoenix is being shot. Every day. You know, every time I see the news, somebody has been shot. And that's just the first story. The second story is somebody being shot. The third story is somebody being shot. I think we're seeing the destroyers being sent into, into the land. People are dying for no reason. Just because somebody wants something or didn't get their way or wants to make a point or whatever it is that causes these people to get shot. And it's just very sad to me. And like I say, I don't watch a whole lot of news, but it really, you know, every time, you know, my wife watches the news almost every morning. And whenever I walk out of the bedroom, inevitably, probably three to four times a week, they're reporting somebody being shot. You know, and it's like, okay, what is going on? They have turned their back on God and violence seems to be to them the only answer. And I don't know if it's true of the rest of the world or not. I'm sure it is. But, you know, here in our area, it's somebody being shot all the time. And we're not even the murder capital of the, of the country. We're pretty low down on the murder, murder. So I can't imagine what it would be like to listen to Chicago news or New York news. You know, all it would be was people shot. Maybe it would be so bad that they wouldn't even report it because there were so many of them. I don't know. But he says, I'm going to send in a destroyer into your midst. And so all of this is going to go on and it fall in terrors upon the city. Verse 9 says, she that hath borne seven languishes or grows feeble. She has given up the ghost. Her son is gone down while it is yet day. She has been ashamed and be and confounded the residue of them will I deliver to the sword before their enemy says the Lord. So he's talking about somebody who gave birth seven times and has lost her children. You know, he goes, you can't even get a big enough family to protect yourself against God's judgment. This is pretty sad. And I'm seeing this, you know, and you're hearing this, and you're hearing people that have lost, you know, three, four, five kids, or five people in the same family to violence. And you're wondering, why? Why is right here. God says, you've, you've rejected me. I am not bringing any protection in. How much does God protect even the lost world when the righteous reign and the righteous rule? And there's laws in place and punishments in place. And God says, I am going to keep the destroyer away from you. And nowadays, the destroyer is everywhere. I can remember when I lived in Baltimore during that uh, shooter that was shooting people at the gas stations. You know, I got to where I was very worried when I went to get gas, would I be one of the ones being shot? Because anywhere from D.C. to Baltimore, people were being shot at random just for going to get gas. You know, and we'd be looking around. Is there any cars stuck over there by the highway? Is there any cars sitting over there by the, by the road? And just praying, God, protect us. And we see this over and over, and it doesn't matter where we are. Even the small towns have these problems, have these issues. Maybe not as much as the big towns, but they still have issues. Kingman has murders frequently. You know, uh, we don't have too many murders in chloride, but we have other problems here in chloride. But you know, we and we've had that murder just recently, you know, just outside of town. So it is still out there. It happens. God is bringing the judgment upon the people who have rejected him. And we're seeing it, just as Israel saw in their day. Verse 10, Woe is me, my mother that hath borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to, to me on usury. Yet every one of them does curse me. 
The Lord said, Verily it shall be well with your, rem with, with your remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat you well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Shall iron break the northern iron and the steel? Your substance and your treasure will I give to the spoil without price. And that for all your sins, even with all your brothers, and I will make you to pass with your enemies into the land which you know not. For the fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. So here is God going even deeper. You know, as if it wasn't deep enough already. <laughs> He's going, Woe is me, my mother, you have, that you have borne a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole world. What is he saying here? Some of your own kids are the ones causing these problems. Yeah, and nothing is worse to a, to a parent than to watch their child go deep into sin and deep into these kind of activities. And he's saying, you have borne a man of strife and contention, one who's causing problems. And to watch your children descend into the pits of hell are scary. And there's people in there... I see it in the prison system. These guys have come from an entire generation that didn't do any better than they did. They don't think anything's wrong with what they do because this is what they've seen all their life. I have seen people in, in the prison celebrate because they got a GED. And they say that they're the first person in their family for several generations to get any kind of education and the GED is their education. They have not passed high school. They have not, they have never, you know, and I've seen more than one say, my family's going to be happy. I have a GED. You know, uh, well, it didn't matter where they got it. They got it. You know, and they're happy that they got it. And many of them have said, I'm the first one to get any education, to break any kind of cycle in my family. And that's wonderful. And then they go on and get other training and, and some of them go on to take college classes. But they're breaking a cycle. And it's hard for me to fathom because I come from a family that if you didn't go to college, something was wrong with you. Uh, you know, much less not pass high school. And so he says, you are giving these birth to these kids that are causing problems. They're in the center of all the problems. And he says, she has been ashamed uh, and confounded. You know, this is quite strong words. Ashamed. Feeling shame about her kids. And confounded, basically, where did I go wrong? <laughs> you know, what did I do wrong in that this kid has gone this direction? And this, all of us as parents have gone through this at some point in our life. You know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? It doesn't do us any good to go there. But I've been there myself as my kids started getting older. You know, watching, because I had two that were prodigal, and I'm going, what, what could I have done differently? What, you know, what, what, did I, what should I have done? But it can't work to change. All you can do is pray for that prodigal. But confounded, what have I done wrong? Why didn't they follow God? Why didn't they act better? Maybe not even follow God, but why, why didn't they act better? Why are they becoming hooligans? Well, because you didn't give them the grounding in God. And so we see this going on. And then he says in here, something very in interesting. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. Usury is giving a loan by charging high interest. He goes, I didn't lend on interest, and I didn't take any loans on interest. And he goes, yet the people are cursing him. And I think this is God finally talking. He goes, I didn't loan anybody anything. I didn't borrow anything. And yet, the people hate me. And this is very funny. I mean, we've talked about this at the beginning. How many people don't believe in God, but as soon as trouble hits, well, why did God let all this stuff happen to me? Why didn't God stop it? Well, you didn't believe him in the first place, so why should he stop anything? Why are you blaming God, the God that you didn't believe in in the first place, and you're cursing him? And this is very interesting to me, and, and I... I have actually turned this on people, you know, when they, they're agnostic or, or atheist and they start talking, why did God let this happen? I go, I thought you didn't believe in God. Well, I don't, then quit blaming God. <laughs> if, if there is no God, quit blaming the God that you don't believe in. I believe there is a God and he's trying to get your attention, but quit blaming him 
for your problems when you don't believe in him. He is trying to get your attention, so you're right, it is his fault. He's trying to get your attention, but don't blame him. And this is the problem for even us as Christians sometimes when we aren't obeying God and he has to shake up our life a little bit to get our attention and, and allow things to happen. And this is hard. It's hard for us as parents to watch our kids go through. When, when you have a prodigal and you're watching bad things happen to them, it is hard to say, okay, I just have to let you hit bottom and maybe God will get your attention. That tough love. And it's hard. Believe me, I understand. I mean, my son, my prodigal son went way off the deep end and had to be let go way down and, 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 and go through it. And only now starting to hear about some of what he went through for God to get his attention. And I don't know all of what he went through because basically he didn't talk to me because he didn't like my tough love. Now he talks to me and it's good. He talks to me since he's come back. But this is the good news on it. And these people are going out and they're hating God. And the Lord said, Verily shall it be well with your remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat you well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. Because your enemy is going to come along and I'm going to tell them to take it, take it easy on you. They're going to take you into captivity. They're going to kill a lot of you. But he goes, I'm going to have them take it easy. Now, Nebuchadnezzar later on gets in trouble because he did not take it easy on God's people and abused them. Then God tells Nebuchadnezzar, because you did this to my people, you're going to face, you're going to face hard times. But God says, I'm going to take care of you. When God brings judgment against us, he, he tempers it. This is what I love about the book of Job. We get to see how God says, Satan, you can do this, but you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do this. Satan is on a leash, and he cannot go beyond what God allows. And that is good news. Nothing happens to us that God does not allow. And this is something that all of us need to really fully begin to understand. When we feel like everything is going wrong in our life and God has forsaken us, the enemy is still on a leash and God is just saying, repent and turn to me. Turn back to me. Maybe it's just like Job and he says, I just want to teach you a lesson to depend on me. And that's the harder lesson. It's one thing when we, do, we can say, okay, I deserve what's coming my way and I'm going to repent and God will deliver me. It's much harder when God says, I just want to see if you're going to trust me in spite of the trials. Are you going to be Job going through all these things? Are you going to be Paul being beaten and shipwrecked and, and stoned and chased out of towns and accused of everything and still follow me? Or are you going to turn away and reject? And this is what he's saying. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle this? I'm going to tell them to take it easy said shall iron break the northern iron and the steel so he said shall all this evil break the northern kingdom and the northern kingdom goes into captivity but he says shall iron break them no there were many people that were left in the land there were many people that went into captivity remember we had hezekiah and josiah both going up into the northern kingdom and telling telling people it's time to turn back to god you know, you're, 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 Jew, you're Jewish people. It's time to turn back to God. I know you're not part of Judah, but it's time for you to turn back to God and work with God. It says, your substance and your treasure I will give to the spoil without price and that for all your sins, even of all your brothers. It says, all of your, all of your wealth is going to be used as a spoil. And why? And it's kind of interesting. It says, for all of your sins even all of your brothers, uh, all, of, even all in, in all your borders, not brothers, borders. <laughs> so he says, all that's going on in, this, in, your, in your country, all that you allow to go on in your country is going to bring judgment. This is my concern for America. We have many righteous that are born again Christians trying to follow God, but how much things are even the born-again Christians allowing to happen in this country without saying anything, without doing anything, without voting, without voting, without 
preaching. You know, there are many churches that are not bad churches overall, but don't talk about sin, don't talk about God, don't talk about hell, don't talk about heaven. And I don't know what they're preaching or what book they're preaching from, but they're not, and they will claim to be Christians. And some of their pastors are pretty nice guys that I've met, but they just won't talk about what God is talking about. And they won't challenge. They won't say. They're not going to say the very things that I'm saying today, that most of what's going on in our world is God bringing judgment. Because they'd be afraid of backlash, of people going against, well, how can you say God's judging? Because he is. <laughs> it's not a question of might he or will he. He is judging. He says, I will make you to pass with your enemies into a land which you know not, for a fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. And this is going to the southern kingdom. Southern kingdom, you are going to be taken captive. And again, remember, the southern kingdom has Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem is the temple. And the people's answer was always the same thing. We have God's temple here. There is no way Jerusalem is going to be going into captivity. Because we've got God living right here in our town. Right there on that hill. At the top of the hill, in that big... Big building is where God lives. Doesn't live in our hearts, doesn't live in our, in our life, but he lives up there on that hill. There's no way he's going to let us be taken. That was their attitude. That was their attitude even in Jesus' day. Jerusalem, we've got God's, God's houses right there. That's where God lives. Anytime we're pointing to God living someplace other than in our hearts, we've got the wrong picture of God. And he's saying... The fire is going to kindle, and you are going into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer this, this nation, and he takes them into captivity. Assyria took just the richest of the people. Nebuchadnezzar takes everybody and moves them all over the place. Very few people are left when Nebuchadnezzar takes over the land, because that was his penchant. He wasn't leaving anybody who would want to be able to defend their land. He'd move them to other places and move people from those places into their land. And God says, you will go into captivity. And this is a big deal for the people of Israel. And this is the great news that God has done for Israel. He has made Israel a nation two times. This first captivity, they only went into captivity for 70 years and then came back home. The second time when they were destroyed by Rome, they went in captivity for 1,900 years, just shy of 1,900 years. And then God brought them back to be a nation. There is no other country that has ever been, been spread out amongst the world and come back after 1,900 years. There's none that have even come back after 70 years other than Israel. It proves that they're God's people. And he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to send you to captivity. And the prophecies were there that they were going to come back in 70 years. Verse 15. O oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and avenge, revenge me of my perse persecutors. Take me not away in your lo long suffering. Know what, that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. Your words were found in me and I did eat them. And your word was unto me a joy and a rejoicing in my heart. For I am called by thy name, O oh Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wounds incurable, which refuse to be healed? Will you be altogether unto me as a liar and as to the waters that fail? So here is Jeremiah. All of Jerusalem is going to go into captivity, and he recognizes it. And his prayer is almost rem reminiscent of Abraham's plead for Sodom and Gomorrah. God, will you destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? It's not completed here, but he, he's basically saying that. He says, God, remember me and give revenge on my persecutors. What was happening to Jeremiah? We've talked about this. Jeremiah would preach the word and get thrown into prison or get thrown into a cistern or get beat or get abused, and basically saying, God, when are you going to deliver me? <laughs> kind of like most people, God, uh, everybody is against me. When are you going to reward me for my obedience? And this is Jeremiah's statement. 
God, when are you going to take care of me? When, you know, don't take away your long suffering. Know that for your sake, your sake, I have suffered rebuke. Over and over again, he was threatened. He was told that if he do, gave a message, he was going to be killed. If he didn't give a message, he'd be killed. You know, it's like every time he spoke, he couldn't do anything right, it seemed like, for the king. The kings wanted him dead because he spoke for God. And this is where we are in our generation. If we speak for God, there is groups of people that want us gone. There, there are some that want us dead. They're not quite ready to kill us yet. But there are a lot of them that want us dead. They want us gone. You know, you are keeping us from being able to sin the way we want and you, because you keep telling us that it's wrong. And deep down in they, their heart, they know it's wrong. And when they hear us say it's wrong, because God says it's wrong, it pricks their heart. It pricks them at the core of their conscience, even though they don't want to admit it. And they want us gone. They do not want us here saying that things are wrong. It is the church that is keeping sin at bay as little as it is. Even though it's growing every year, it is still the church that keeps it from overwhelming us so far. We say that this is wrong, that's wrong. And we're in a losing battle, and the church is getting less and less effective over the years and turning more and more to the world's way of thinking. But we are the salt of the world when they sin, we say God says it's wrong and we pour salt into their, into their wound and irritate them. And they get angry and they do more to attack us. And we're going to see even more of this as time goes on. As more and more churches give up God's word and go with political correctness, we're going to see more and more pressure on the handful of the remnant that will not surrender God's word. And it will come to the point where we'll be arrested and, and or killed and, and martyred. And I don't think it's too far down the road. You know, I look at some of these things. I, I read a lot of news online and I read the comments and there is some strong hatred toward Christians in those comments. You do-gooders, you righteous, you know, hypocrites and all these things that they put in there. How dare you tell us that there's something that is wrong and right? You know, and they are attacking left and right. All of this is what's coming down the pike. It says, And then Jeremiah says, I didn't sit in the assembly of the mockers, those that are making jest and sport of God. It's an amazing thing when you go out there. How many people actively make fun of God? I don't know how many of you have experienced it. I experience it a lot. You know, if there was a God, what's he letting these things happen for? You know, you, you, you believe in a make-believe God. You think there's a man in the sky that cares for you. And if the God was really all-powerful, why would all this bad stuff be happening? And, and they make fun of God. They, they make sport. And Jeremiah says, I sat alone because of your hand. You have filled me with indignation. How many times do we feel, even if we're in a group of people, do we feel alone because we do not participate in what they participate with? I have felt alone even in some churches where my standard is much higher than what people are around me are willing to accept and do and act. And I, and I understand when Jeremiah says, I have sat alone trusting you, following you, because you have put indignation in me and anger, a righteous anger. When I see certain things, I do sometimes get angry about what's going on. I don't know how to, how to focus it because the government's not going to allow it. They're making then this government I'm usually angry at because of the things they're allowing. But I do get angry sometimes at the churches and what they are allowing in their churches and where they're going with sin and rejection. I don't know if many people notice, but every Sunday morning we sing at least one song about the blood of Jesus because that is, to me, the most important thing that we could be singing about to try to remind everybody the blood of Jesus is how we're saved. The blood of Jesus is where we're going, and there are many churches that won't sing a song about the blood or the cross because it is offensive to them, offensive to their people, and they're afraid of losing people in their church. And I don't understand. Without the blood of Jesus, we have no salvation. And yet there are many that don't even care about the blood. They just want to live good lives. And so we want to be very careful. And then he goes, why is my pain perpetual, my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you altogether be altogether to me a liar 
and as a water that fails. I don't know what it is that Jeremiah was suffering, but apparently he had some kind of disease or some kind of pain that was bothering him. You know, and he's being beat all the time. He's kind of like Paul. He's being beat all the time. So every time his wounds healed, they're probably being busted back open again with the beatings. Uh, and he's kind of having a pity party at this point. God, why are you letting all of this stuff happen to me? All right. Uh, oops, I skipped 16. Your words were found, and I did eat them, and your word was unto me joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I love that. I don't know why I skipped over it. Your word was found, and I did eat them. Do we eat God's word and take joy from his word? I think our church does because we have all kinds of Bible studies, all kinds of reading. But for the average person, do they really rejoice in what God says? I love reading God's word. I love listening to what God has to say. I love that he's promised us a home in heaven that one day everything in this world that is painful, everything in this world that is trial and troublesome will be over. And when we've been in heaven for eternity, we'll look back at this little speck of time that we used to experience and going, wow, it was nothing. It was nothing. I, I don't even remember what happened back then. All I know is what I've been in heaven and forgotten all that stuff in the past. And, you know, basically... This is his pity party. He goes, God, you, my pain is always, my wound is incurable. Are you going to be a liar? You know, can I trust your word? He just got done saying he was going to trust God's word and rejoice in them. And now he's going, now God, but my experience is telling me that you're a liar. Your word, which I know is true, I, I rejoice in, but my experience is saying that you're a liar. How many times have we been in that place? We read God's word and we go, God, I trust your word. I believe your word. But man, my life sure is miserable and I can't stand what's going on. And we are always in that kind of a battle. Are we going to live on what we know is true by God's word? Or are we going to abide by our experiences? And the problem with our experiences are they lie. Our experiences lie to us over and over again. Our emotions lie to us. This is why we must live in verse 16. Your words were found and I did eat and I rejoiced. This is one of the reasons I encourage us so much to memorize God's word. So that when we're going through these hard times and it seems like God has been a liar, I can go back to the words of God and say, God, this is what you said. I'm going to trust your word. And this is the important thing. What are we going to believe? God and his, and his word to us or what we think we're seeing by our experience. And note that I said what we think we're seeing because we don't even know what we're seeing. We don't know what God is trying to accomplish by letting us go through the things we go through. We think that it's miserable, terrible, and God says, I've got something I want you to learn. I want you to learn, if nothing else, that your trust is in me, not, not your experience. And over and over again, we go back to, do we believe his word? Or do we believe our emotions and our experience? Now, I've only lived with God for 41 years, but I have, uh, 51 years, excuse me. But I have started to learn that I want to live by God's word and not by my experience. My experiences have been bad often. My experiences, by my point of view, look like they, that God didn't care for me. But I have seen over time that even when those things, things were seen bad, God had a reason for them. And if I don't see him in this lifetime, he'll show me in heaven why I went through what I did and that he had a reason. Going back to his word. We need to always put the center of everything I believe on his word. When people go, well, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And I'm going, well, did you, do you recognize you're a sinner? Did you admit, do you recognize that Jesus died for your sin? Did you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Yes, then you're, sa then you're saved. It doesn't matter what you think or what you have experienced. God's word is true. And if we can't trust his word, we're in trouble. And that's what I've said. Every word in the Bible has to be true. If it's not, the book is worthless. If there is anything in the Bible that is not true, it is a worthless book. Because I cannot put my, my stance on it. The good news is, after all my years of study, and I have found nothing in it that is not true. 
Given enough time, everything finds out that it is true. For generations, they said David was never a real king. He was a, he was a King Arthur of Israel until they found the stones in Israel that said that David was a king and he had a son named Solomon and it was the golden age of their, of their empire. And it's like, whoops, we, we, we lost that one. Over and over again, the world has found that what God says is true. I'm going to stand on his word, always, to be, to be strong. Verse 19, Therefore thus saith the Lord, If you return, then I will bring you again, and you shall stand before me. And if you take forth the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return unto you, but return not you unto them. And I will make you unto the people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you, saith the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked. I will redeem you out of the hand of the terrible. terrible. This is God's response to Jeremiah's complaint. And I want to just look how gentle is God's response to him. God understood his place. He understood his frustration. And he's being very gentle with him. He could have said, how dare you not believe my, my word and, and, not, and not accept it. I'm going to just cast you away as not as well. But he didn't say that. He says, if you return, then I will bring you again. And this is to the people. And if you stand before me, I will take forth the precious from the vial and you shall be my mouth. He's saying, Jeremiah, just turn back. People, turn back. I will take out the precious from the vial. And I kind of, when you, when you hear that statement, it's kind of like going to a burnt out building and sifting through it and trying to find out what's important in the building. Uh, after an earthquake, after the flood, let's go with the floods up there in, in Flagstaff. You're watching people dig through the mud trying to find anything that is of value to them. And, and when they find it, they're, re, they're excited. I found my picture, I found my jewelry, I found whatever it is that they're trying to find. And it doesn't really matter how, how small it is. They took the precious from the disaster. And God says, if you return to me, I will take the precious from the vial. And you will be my mouth. And then I love this one, verse 20. And I will make you and to this people a fenced brazen wall. They shall fight against you, but they shall not prevail. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you, says the Lord. What is he telling Jeremiah? I'm going to make you like a brass wall. Not a stone wall that can be broken down, but a brass metal wall. And in that day and age, a brass wall was very strong. I mean, you, you didn't have blow torches and, and dynamite and everything else to blow it out. You could throw rocks against brass all day long and do very little damage. And God says, I'm going to make you like a brass wall to these people. They cannot harm you. And I love this statement because this is how it is for us as Christians. When we are working for God and we are doing what he wants, we are undefeatable during that period of time. We may not feel like it at times. We may feel beaten up. But Jeremiah was told, you are a brass wall. They cannot defeat you because I am on your side. I am not going to let you be defeated. Paul, uh, I have been beaten, I have been shipwrecked, I have been stoned, I have been being attacked, but compared to the future, this is nothing. Where is our focus for God? Is it on what's happening now or what will happen? I hope that our focus is always going to be on what will happen. I'm going to admit my focus always, isn't always on what will happen. <laughs> I'm like everybody else, but I try to keep my focus more on what will happen. It helps me stay, you know, in moving forward during the hard times. God, this is just temporary. I don't care if it's another 50, 60 years, but it is still temporary. Because your heaven is forever. Your, my home is forever. You have given me strength to do whatever it is that you've asked me to do. And it says, God says, I will deliver you. And then in the last verse of this chapter, and I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and I will redeem you out of the hand of the terrible. God says, I am the one that's going to take and guard you. He is our rescuer. He is our savior. No matter what happens, what is the worst that the world can do to us? They can beat us. 
and beat us and beat us and beat us. Now, what's the best they can do to us? They can kill us and I get to go to heaven. The worst they can do is keep beating me and trying to break my spirit. But even then, if I'm focused on God, I can be able to say, God, what is it that you want me to do here? If I'm being sent before the, be- the, the beating, it's like, okay, God, let me put a song in my heart. You know, I, I love just kind of softly singing at the prison, and people look at me like, how can you be so happy? Especially on a Monday or a Tuesday. How can you be so happy? It's Monday. I go, you know, and I always tell them it's so sad. I'm going, it is really terrible that you guys live for one day, one day a week. What are you, you're losing five days out of every week being miserable, waiting for the one day that you think is going to bring you happiness, and it doesn't even bring you happiness. And you spend the next six days waiting for that day to happen again. What a miserable life. Instead of being saying, God, what have you got in store for me today? I really do believe that every single day, God's got something in our life to use to minister to him if we look for it. God, who is it you want me to talk to today? Who is it that I am going to be an example to today? God, show me. And we need to be praying that each morning. God, show me who I am to talk to today, who I am to minister. It may just be encouraging another Christian. It may be witnessing to somebody. It may be just living before God and driving people nuts. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be God reaching out to people. And I truly believe that there's always at least one person, and I believe it's more than one person, but at least one person every day that God says, this is who you're to, to minister to. And all we need to do is ask God to open our eyes so that we see it. Now, I'm a little slow sometimes. Sometimes I see who I was supposed to have talked to about three hours after I was supposed to talk to him. I go, God, I messed up again. Which is why I tend to begin my day saying, God, open my eyes. I want to see these opportunities. And when I don't say that prayer, I go, wow, there was an opportunity and I missed it again. You know, and it's usually hours after and when it's way gone, too far down the, down the road to go. But God has opportunities for us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to put us in a place where we stand for him and people will see and follow and be able to turn to him because they see our example. And this is the good news. We are an example to the world. If you name the name of Christ, people are watching you. If they see you go to church every, every Sunday morning, and for many of us on here, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, they're looking at you and going, why are they doing this? These guys are weird. They're not at home watching TV. They're not here at home watching the, the Suns or the, or the Cardinals or the, uh, what's our baseball team's name? <laughs> I'm so, not so into sports. Uh, the baseball team that we have locally. <laughs> Or the, or the Coyotes, the, the hockey team, you know, it's like they're not spending all their time watching these teams play. They're not at home doing all these things. They are going to that church. I wonder why they do this. And they're looking to see, are we really, truly changed people? And this is what Jeremiah was told. God said, I will make you a bronze wall. I will keep you. I will redeem you. We can do nothing without Christ. With Christ, we can do all things. And we need to always remember that. Lord, we ask you to just help us, help us to see the opportunities before us. Lord, as we live in a generation that is becoming more and more wicked, help us to stand for you in all that's going on and be able to take a stand for you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man 
believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know Him. Do you know Him? Do you want to know Him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.